Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 7th of April 2019. As always, I, I wish all the best to those out there who tune in all the time to listen to the talks and have been tuning in actually for many years, many of them. And there's always new ones coming in too, new people and younger audiences as well looking for different things and explanations to really what it's all about basically. Like the old old movie says, what's it all about, Alfie? Well, I think everybody goes through the same phases and stages of trying to figure out underneath the massive deluge of data that's dumped on us and education too, under the guise of education often, because even history changes all the time as well. You'll notice that, that we all ask the same questions of what's going on, why does it go on, what really is the system we're living in, which... It goes through different periods of transformation, although it pretends it's not. And all the different techniques and tricks that are used today to create the illusions of mass demands on behalf of the public to change really the, the system according to a big, big plan. They've always said that the rich people rule the world, and of course it's very true. Not just myself, but many before me have talked about that. And we, all the way back and before even now, there's Huxley, that the dominant minority have always existed, and, and they always will, he presumed at the time, during his interview with Mike Wallace. And of course you have the, a much, much larger academia than ever before across the planet, all working together, different departments and so on, in communication in a global system of internet, etc. So they, they really do have a tremendous power, and they work as the, the force that brings forth all the changes and they even raise the children according to, to what the need actually is, not according to the need of those who rule and manage the system. They raise the children to be the advocates of whatever is needed 10 or 15 years down the road when, they, when they'll bring in different things. That's really how it is. It's pretty efficient that way. And over the last few weeks, too, I've talked about articles by people like Jax E. Lull, who talked about efficiency and how efficiency would be used to to change and modify the whole all cultures, all systems, all thought forms, basically, uh, that we are so used to living in. They're already changing, of course, and have changed. So basically, efficiency has, and the drive for efficiency, and naturally for those in power, the, re- the real powers that run in the system, overrides any human element or even catastrophe or that is a fallout from <laughs> from their agendas. And they always have lots of agendas, of course. And other other philosophers, too, have talked about necessity and how under the guise of necessity, which is often the excuse that they, they'll settle on to make the public go along with something, they use necessity. We have to do this to save you, either from a war or, or from your, yourselves and climate change and yourselves and man-made global warming and so on, anthropogenic warming. So uh, they've got it all figured out, and at least, hopefully, there'll be a few folk down the road in the future who at least know and live and, and have lived through some of the changes, the mandated changes, and they'll be able to maybe pass them on to some to anyone else who wants to know down the road, because that's all you can do. And a long time ago I said that there's so many people turn to self-destructive behaviors because they can't find purpose in a, in a system that's fed them all, all the wrong reasons. You know it's fake and the reasons are wrong for the way things are and the way they're going to go, etc. And you get frustrated if you can't get into the old books, if, if they're still around, that is, to find out what really really happens at different times, then you'll never understand that the problem isn't yours. The problem is you suspect and probably know certain things are all wrong. You just don't have all the information to put it together to keep your sanity because many people just don't swallow the answers they're given. There are people out there, the more psychopathic, more closer to... And they'll say that everyone's got psychopathic traits, they're like exaggerations of different tendencies we have, in a sense. But the more psychopathic people will naturally gravitate and jump on the bandwagon and start parroting all the nuances and, and political correct messages that they're given. They understand what they're for. They understand there's a system that now puts this ahead 
of everything else and does away with, uh, with, with even, even their opposites and things like that. That's how fast things can be changed. But they, they'll immediately jump on them, just like Orwell said that, you know, who are we fighting today in 1984? Because they kept changing the target in a sense. But you're supposed to not notice that they always change the target, even though you'll adjust your talk to, to the new country or the new area that's supposedly you're at war with. It's the same thing. It's all well understood at a very high level. And those in, who, who belonged to the Marxist groups, those who, who belonged to the socialist revolutionary groups in the 1920s and 30s, like George Orwell, they understood that they were, they were well trained. And where they fell out was when they realized that the communistic system really was destroying or, or wanted to destroy any competition. They didn't really want a parliamentary, you might call it a parliamentary form of socialism. They wanted a more dictatorial form of it. In fact, they didn't believe it would work if you had different dissension groups within a governmental system. And that, again, was further explained by H.G. Wells, because he, he, again, was a founder of the Fabian Society with Bernard Shaw and others, who were quite open about the, the fact that they had a, an open channel, physical channel, all the way to to Moscow, to, to the Kremlin. And Trotsky was in touch with them all the time. Trotsky was always saying to them, you know, your, your, your way won't work. You've got to have a, an instant revolution. Whereas the, the Fabian socialists wanted a step-by-step change until you simply morph into the new system. And that's, that's really the, the, the perfect technique because it's so perfected today you can morph into it uh, within a matter of a few years quite easily from one to the next without really knowing that you've actually changed and, and the system has changed. It really is wonderful to see, in fact, because it's, it's wonderful in, in, in that you understand the power and the powers of uh, those who have studied us and who can then implement the techniques to make us think and work and behave towards a certain goal or many goals. It is fascinating to watch it. And we, we truly are. We're living through amazing times when everything that governments once stood for, supposedly stood for at least, <laughs> have been turned on their heads and upside down. And now they're, with the same authoritarian techniques of putting it across to the public, they're mandating that the public go along with, with really contrary everything, systems, opinions, directions, uh, it's quite fascinating to just stand back as a, almost like an alien being and watching it. <laughs> and it helps to an extent to understand what they talked about by alienation. Because in sociology and in socialism too, and in Marxism, they talked about this term of alienation. I mentioned it to someone, or we were talking about the other day, that, 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 what they really meant by alienation. In the Marxian version, it was that basically those in the lower orders, when studied in, in the 1800s, and much before that too, they literally, especially in the cities, they literally felt they were drifting because you're, you're such a low class of unimportance. That's how it was put across them. You really had no rights at all. You might get casual labor occasionally, if you're lucky, you had no health care of any kind, you had no welfare of any kind. You were disposable by employers, literally, physically, because, I mean, people died of incredible conditions in factories during the Industrial Revolution and things like that, crammed into terrible places. So that's how great the, the nation was when it was at the height of its empire in Britain, for instance. And we, we forget, we, we we're taught to forget it. We come out with this mushy notion of old BBC plays and things where it's all carriages and and wealthy middle class from London or something. That that wasn't a country at all. And even in London, uh, there's a complete other side of that too. But what I'm getting at is we're so well studied. Marx did it too, because they all knew it. They, they, remember the whole idea of Marxism was eventually revolution. And supposedly the workers at that time, they always presumed the dolls be laborers and workers, that they would supposedly, theoretically, ideally, utopically <laughs> run, the, run the nation and the world, which never really emerged, of course. It was certainly used by others for their own advantage elsewhere, of course. But 
the idea that the symptoms we're describing are, are dead on. Because those who lived in squalor, as they say, because they worked out in different categories, is it squalor that's the problem? No, squalor is a symptom of the poverty. And then the, the, the frequent changes of employment, even were often because they were getting fired, or somebody, if they were getting a bit older, they get fired immediately because it's easier to hire someone who's cheap and, and new and younger, you see. That's never going to change either, by the way. And on and it goes. So the alienation came because people literally felt, with a conscious mind, you're adrift in the world. And to the extent I understand that, you can feel definitely adrift in the world. And if you do understand, and I understood it when I was young, going through a lot of, of um, some of that too, this understanding of what was happening when things did not make sense. Big, big moves were, were, were underfoot or underway, I should say, big moves to change the whole system. And and they brought in, they had to bring in, actually, because of promises to get folk into World War II and to fight again, since a lot of the promises they, they promised in World War One didn't were not fulfilled. And they, they gave them a bit more, more council housing, primarily council housing for working-class areas. And then they brought in, eventually, a health care system, which, they, of course, they were dismantling about 30 years later, they were, they were dismantling it as well, and still dismantling it and changing it. Whatever is done on, for any, under any pretext or any legitimate reason, generally it is altered again to suit, once again, efficiency for those at the top. Years ago, years and years ago, they had the big discussions about the, the common market, as they called this, this little meeting place where they just meet and discuss things, just like the United Nations nonsense, same thing. It was always intended to be much, much bigger, but they fooled the people, they lied to the people, they disclosed the fact a few years ago they lied to the people from the beginning because they couldn't handle opposition and, and they'd never get their United Europe through if they did. Uh, so they, they lied and lied up to the bitter end. But the public in, in Britain didn't know it. They were not told. They were not to be. T- they were not to be told. I actually, had that in the memos when they set it up. What its real function was. But I can remember even the farmers who were told to borrow, 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 borrow. This 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 European uh, free trade deal would be such benefit as they could export even more stuff, etc., etc. And they got loans. The government encouraged it all. They got loans and put their farms down as collateral. And when the EU came in with its big, big, strong hand, it already decided how much of a quota of milk and cheese and milk and butter and so on that you could sell out and export. And it was actually cut way down. So farmers were literally told what they could produce, what they couldn't produce, and so many of them went under. You've heard this, this before, of course, from other, other things since then, when they did the same thing in other countries, including North America. It's the same con that goes on, oh, borrow, 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 big money, don't worry, I'll get paid back with these deals. And bingo, there you go. You have literally faceless bureaucrats deciding how much you can produce, who you can sell it to, and etc. That's what happens. So there's, there's, not, there's, not, there's no real freedom to decide your future in certain areas, in old traditional areas, put it that way with mass unemployment in the West. And again, back to Margaret Thatcher's day in the year in the late 70s and into the 80s, she said, that they get used to it, the unemployment, get used to it, to the youth, she says. And some of them will never see work in their lifetime, a whole generation, she said. Well, that, you understand, they could actually write off all the teenagers who, who were alive at the time of that speech, and, and people even younger than her, completely written off from a system that wanted you to vote for them, and a system that wants you to trust them, and so on. It's it, what an incredible... But mind you, the techniques of controlling the emotion are so well understood, uh, including anger, and she, she, opened, she did away with all the old, the pub license in hours, for instance, to keep them open all day, etc. And she said it's better to have the youngsters spending their, their unemployment or welfare money in the pubs, getting drunk, than have them protesting on the street. 
which of course and they'd have to be kind of sober for that one. So uh, they did that kind of thing, and they, and they did, and of course they deluged the, the media and and movies now. You had lots of sex on on these different places, sex and drugs of some kind or another. You see, alcohol's a drug actually. So uh, that was to keep folk from demanding a say in, in the future of the of, of their own future actually. Now, I really don't think it would have mattered which party was in, personally. I really don't. Because you always find the same agendas go on and on and on. The same thing happened in the US, the same thing happened in, even when Cameron was Prime Minister of Britain. I mean, folk from outside and inside the country didn't know. His policies were the same as the far-left Labour and Liberal. They all have the same agendas. They all have the same Because they have to have the same agenda. They're obviously going to fulfill the mandated agendas, cultural, every, every way, financial, you name it, they all do the same thing. And that's the, the bottom line is that's what Quarrell quickly said too. Eventually all the, all the, the parties will, will say the same things and strive for the same things because they're all being backed by the same rich, rich men in the planet, basically. It's the same with... You think of the old Marxist ideas and communist ideas and, and socialist ideas when they talked about uh, the means of production. Well, the, our own governments, if we, I can't even call them our own governments really, you know, but the governments all agreed in the West through some strange, we know what it was too, what the groups belonged to and the big movements that, that back them up and decide things and plan things for them for the think tanks and so on. We, we know with the agenda was so they all went for deindustrialization and giving uh, most of the production over to China and they did it so slickly I remember living through it watching it happen what got me they, 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 in Canada they played it very well low key and the folk almost didn't comment on the fact everything was coming. The same things were coming in, same, same names and logos on things they were purchasing, but they would say in small print, made in China, see? And, of course, India now has got big money flowing into it from the World Bank and, and et cetera, which we all pay into to get them really highly developed in, in industry. And no one complains about other countries coming up, but the fact is, what was given for the West to have replaced uh, re- to replace their employment, and it's a real a real puzzle to me, honestly, as to, as to how especially young people are managing. As certain groups into technology might be doing awfully well, but not everyone is cut out for for that kind of of work, and we don't have all the factory that all the factories we used to have, where. They could lose themselves in, in manufacturing and creating objects and things and repairing and fixing. Uh, pretty well all gone. And lots of people really enjoyed that and had a good employment from it. So it's, uh, there's nothing really was put out there to replace it. So I, I, I really would love to have the government studies on, on real percentages of the youth into adulthood and the statistics to see who's working at what and the different percentages, etc. How many are still living with their parents into the age of 40 and more, in fact, some of them, or parent, in fact, single-parent families too, to see how they can survive because none of them, or very few of them, will be able to, to, to actually own their own home down the road or even today. Because it's there, for, for most folk now, uh, in this global system, the, the price of real estate has just gone beyond it. It's, around the, it's out to outer space and, and round the moon and back a, time, a few times, I think. It's, it makes no sense to do with reality. But because there are so many people who are now billionaires and trillionaires at, at the top, then they decide what the policies and prices are going to be on pretty well all the things, especially things like real estate. And some countries are, are basically almost, they're churning out like machines, these, these multi-millionaire billionaires and so on, and no one can compete with it even if you buy their homes. But then that, again, it ties in with the future of a world where you simply won't have private property for, for the majority of the public. An elite will have, 
and it'll be accepted. Interesting enough, too, I was thinking through all of this about those who see certain things often in their own time and put it across in some way or another that you can, you can actually analyze it and see how much they knew or what they'd picked up on. And I was thinking about there's an awfully good writer who worked for for television in Britain, and he was a journalist as, as well as a, as a fiction writer, and his name is called uh, Dennis Potter. He died about 1994, but he'd lived from the 30s right through to 1994, and he was in on, on the writing game early, as I say, especially with the BBC and so on, and he bemoaned that, that the change in the BBC, in the, from the, for, which literally, in the BBC was promoting promiscuity in the 60s. Now, these are, everybody at the BBC at that time had come from Oxford and Eton. You know? that, that was pretty well. You couldn't get in unless you, and work there unless you were from most places. And so they're a government-run agency that worked on behalf of the government. It promoted the Cold War, naturally, for, for MI5 and 6 to keep us all in a state of, of well, you know, because we tend to forget. I mean, you wouldn't even know the war was a cold war was going on except the declarations that you were so poor because you're paying off uh, debt from World War One and Two, and plus added money where we're borrowing to pay for new defence systems for the Cold War. This is how you're kept under. There was no extra cash in those days, believe me. But they gave you again the BBC. It was it was um, pop. They call it pop music. And drugs suddenly became available everywhere, you know, LSD, everything, you name it. And uh, uh, these were not getting made LSD by little science guys in the basement. And (laughs) that's another story. However, they gave you the pop music, uh, drugs, and and, and sex, you see. And in about the mid-60s or so, or the late 60s, early 70s, they came out with a pill. And I think it was the 60s anyway, but the, the National Health Service could... So really, that's a great way too to divert your attention from your future. All you're thinking about is what you want at the moment, and it might not be that good for you. But the thing is, youngsters always go for the same things, the same temptations and so on, where it's put right in front of them. But it, it just it took them away from the old stage system of simply getting married, a lot of them anyway, and having children and uh, continuing. They want to break the continuity of the old system. That was the whole point of it. So the BBC promoted it. They, they, they got the guys on who were interviewed, stoned out their heads uh, on live interviews, and it was like a tee-hee laughing matter as opposed to, isn't that terrible that you want your children to emulate these characters? I mean, it really was. Some of them were falling off their seats, for goodness sake, and talking gibberish. They were so out of it with heavy drugs. But that's what it was promoted. And at the time, too, they put a lot of uh, movies out by the British. Uh, it's not a kind of movie system for making movies. And they were, they were ahead of the U.S. with uh, nudity and so on. So that's what they give you in times of poverty and transition, which in a transition is going to, not going to bring you more money, <laughs> just more, more poverty, in a sense, and debt, of course. But it's a great distraction. And, and also... Aiming towards the children, try to say you're part of something. There's a revolution we're pushing. Now, here's your government pushing this, this cultural revolution. Now, during this time period, um, Dennis Potter, who was an icon of the BBC for a while, for his awfully good productions, different novel way of, of putting uh, different ideas across, he got knocked a few times when he, when he went into a farm of they claimed what was was a obnoxious way of putting the sexual content across. He himself apparently was sexually abused when he was about ten years old by someone he knew, and maybe that had a lot of uh, impact. And it actually did have a lot of impact in his life. And he, I think, in some interviews, he actually admitted the horrible effects it has from childhood on for the rest of your life. So he was putting the seedy side of human nature in his his movie system too. But he also 
went through vast changes. He, his dad was a miner. He saw the vast changes in, in the system. And he saw the unemployment right through the 60s, 70s, into the 80s. He was acutely aware of what was going on, too. But he, he put some good movies out there, television movies, and, and one was called Blade on the Feather, about uh, recruitment of the big spy rings from, that were taken from Oxford and Cambridge. Very good, because he had a lot of contacts, obviously in the right places. And if you listen closely to that one, if you get it, uh, listen to the little quips in it. They're awfully, awfully telling of, of the system at the time. And the, the pretense of who's who. Are they really who you think they are? And, and any position of, of uh, power, especially politics. Uh, and he also did interviews when he was, when he was dying. Uh, just before he died, actually, in 1994, he did an interview live and, and was quite frank about the system and even called his tumor, his cancerous tumor, Rupert, after Rupert Murdoch, whom he hated and loathed. For de- he called it for destroying and, uh, and creating, creating a, a new trashy journalism style for the, for the media that, that persists to this day, obviously. But... Um, he definitely put a lot of uh, things across about the system in a, in a almost a covert way <laughs> about the the seedy side of human nature and also the truthful side of of, of those of daydreams mixed with uh, uh, the seedy side of life too, which come into it because we're he, he always said that we're, we're made of opposites basically that life is opposites. And that uh, angels, remember, too, uh, have opposite tendencies, including Lucifer, for instance, is a, was an angel of light. Hmm? Uh, so, so you have opposites in life, and there's opposites within humans. But he, he definitely um, was rather angry at the, the destruction of what was called at the British press at one time that was maybe had, had more ability to say things than later on, and definitely they don't have it now. They don't even attempt to have it now. You have opinion pieces in a light-hearted, kind of jocular vein, and that's as far as they go, and that's not really news. But it's safe, isn't it? Now, in the last few weeks of his life, really, he, he hurried to complete another, his, la- his last two plays, basically, or movies, you might call them, uh, as a karaoke was one, which had a lot of himself in it as a writer, as the character with the cancer, and what happened, and in a very clever way, he put it into the death of the character has to be tied in with cryogenics, and that led to the next and the last one he he wrote, and he said he wanted people to 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 understand and and to and to have get more from his work than just enjoyment and pleasure, etc. And he, he put so much in <laughs> to the final one, uh, which was called Cold Lazarus, because it was to do with the, the head of the writer that had been frozen for many, many, many centuries. And then they, they, they managed to tap into eventually and stir memories and so on from the scientists. But the future he put into it in the, in the 90s, when he, when he wrote that, was, was where we're going. He had a system, a world system, of the top, almost like star quality, CEOs and owners of massive international corporations, living an, a, a life of luxury which is into the sci-fi realm, you see, literally. They have the group of scientists working on the head, getting, getting a grant to work on the head by, by a woman who owns probably trillions of pounds worth at that time, of businesses across the world and investments. And so everybody who, has, who works, and, ha- and even if they have degrees in scientists and so on, they still have to work for these very powerful callous, because as time goes on, you lose your old civility in this, this system where money power is rather blatant. 
and uh, you, you just all the niceties are out the window now. They're they're, they're incredibly nasty to to people uh, if you're employed by them, and it's a, it's, it definitely is uh, the, the real class system. It's coming. It's pretty well here actually, where they create heroes for you to follow. They are really just business people, who's often for their businesses are are, are heavily funded with the private public private partnership deal because that went, that went through worldwide at the same time from the big institutions because uh, what they claimed at the time through, again through necessity or, or efficiency we, we got to have the taxpayers' money for these massive projects. So, but the, in the future, in in uh, Cole Lazarus the. Uh, all the, everybody works for these, these these incredible magnets. They also have superstar wealthy people who are superstars because they simply because they are wealthy, incredibly wealthy, and what they own, holding companies across the planet, etc. There's no nations, as far as I can tell anymore. They have quaint names for regions, and that's about it. You find too that it's, it's a world where every everything's monitored. This is remember this is before two thousand and one. Everything's monitored. The, yeah, all calls, uh, cameras everywhere. There's very Orwellian too, of course. And uh, nothing is missed. Everything is kept. Uh, that's transmitted by any kind of electronic means at all, uh, uh, forever. And and this is again before much of the things happened in the West. And the the, the, the police dash military group that they're all, all clad in black naturally. And they, they're armed to the teeth. Uh, they're everywhere in the streets and so on, and outside apartment buildings where folk have to rent, etc. And they've got heavy, heavy armour on them themselves too. The cars that you see in it are driverless. Uh, they're kind of hovercraft type. They don't go very high, but it's maybe a foot or two off the ground. They're electric in some way or another. Uh, also, they have. Uh, there's no driver in them. So driverless cars, automatic, you can't own them, although the ultra-wealthy elite can own cars, but the people just have to call up, um, like a, almost like a taxi thing that comes to your door. But you, everyone's got a number, and everything you do is, to, is, is a purchase by that number, an, an order for, for a taxi. Everything goes down as you, it's like a complete record of where you went, why you went there, etc., etc. So everything is, is pretty well there. And Porter, I think, knew a lot more <laughs> than you would imagine because he, he got it pretty well spot on. Uh, and even uh, people who run a global entertainment business and, te- and you know, huge consortiums of, of TV channels across the planet and so on are superstars in it, despite the fact that they own all. So he, he got it all pretty well uh, down pat. So it really is, and the cultural changes too, so it's all done there. But we're living through a planned agenda, obviously. Your rights get stripped away under the guise of necessity, because you see there's there's all these terrible things going on in the world, so everyone has to be monitored, because you can't trust yourself anymore. They've got to heap tabs on everything. You understand, under, under the, a tyranny, any kind of tyranny... Uh, those at the top, no matter what they call it, they can call it utopia uh, or heaven even, you know, under any kind of tyranny, uh, they're always going to try and keep you safe. And they do it by, by using necessity for having to know what everyone is doing or thinking in order to keep you safe. That's the excuse, you see. And uh, by, well, you wouldn't want to be unsafe, would you? So we've got to tap in and see what you're thinking. Do you know that this week, in fact, I think Google or, it's Google or some other group out there are actually going forward. And it's funny, I was just talking last week to someone on this thing too. They're going for, to the next step too. They want to literally have to tap into your mind, your brain. Now that's an old idea. But they're going, once in a while they float old ideas again as they go through more experimentation. They're always experimenting, naturally. But they want to intersect with your mind, even without a chip in your head, if possible. Although that might come and maybe more efficient again under the guise of efficiency, right? There you go. And with, with incredible power around a computer, especially the, even the monitor, you, you, you'll find it will knock 
regular AM stations off the off the airwaves. If you put a radio near it, uh, that's the power it gives off, and it's not really. Sa- I I personally don't like sitting within that field area as far back as possible because it's not it's not safe. I mean, electromagnetic cur- uh, waves. These are these are very powerful waves. Um, affect the cells in your body. We know this. This, this is it's not disputed. What the dispute is how severe it is, and you know that's what the dispute. But, but yeah, I mean, a few years back, too. Remember, in the airports, they, they had little documentaries put out there, articles in newspapers about throwing grants again. Uh, see, whatever is used for necessity or even terrorism is great for big business. The articles in the nineties, in the nineteen nineties, that what are the companies going to do that create all the war industry, if it's peace? This was, was mainstream, general, big newspapers across the world. What are they going to do? It's a massive income, and so on. well, they said that they were going to into surveillance and security systems, and that's exactly what they did. Well, now they're getting the Cold War revived, so they can have it both ways. But but it's so lucrative that you can't give it up. You see. So, so you could not have a peaceful world, and have all, all these institutions continue being so strong and powerful as they are. And money is powerful. I mean, the, the big billionaires, trillionaires, and there's trillionaires in the world. There are. Uh, they they have a lot of clout, an awful lot of clout in society. And when politicians are backed and given massive funding from different ones. They're naturally obliged to, to listen to, to the funders before they listen to the people who supposedly elect them. Naturally, that's the way it is. We've got to break out of the shell of, of pretense that everything's wonderful and everyone out there is honest about it and, and so on, right? For those at the top to, to feel safe, they must have the data on every single person in real time by the minute, by the hour, by the day. That's, that's how you're, you stay safe. Because it really, I don't think the power never trusts the general population. Never does. Never has. Never never has done. You, you find from the days of Walsingham and the spy industry from Queen Elizabeth the first time, they, they had spies all through Britain, paid full-time spies, thousands of them, uh, they're checking up, and once even going through places like Scotland, taking a form of census on the population, their health, their, their manpower strength, even the health of their horses and stuff like that. Quite amazing stuff. Defoe was part of that too, later on, you know. he That's one of the jobs that he did, going through Scotland. But so anyway, that's always been the way of spies. And of course, spies too were literally during Queen Elizabeth I's reign and afterwards, they watched for Catholics, you know. They watch for Catholics, and when priests were forbidden, Catholic priests, they, they hung them if they found them in the streets. And spies everywhere. I mean, you have to understand that, that, as I say, history is a horror show, really. It really is. I really don't expect it to be. I mean, you can get, today we're so calmed down with a more perfect way of government governing us that they can do it so well without uh, without overt force all of the time. All of the time. Uh, and it's almost like stroking your mind huh? uh, with, oh, this is okay. Look at the happy little bits of stories you get everywhere you open them up and all the cat and dog stories and stuff like that. Wonderful little things. But you aren't going to get told anything that really matters. News has changed, really changed. Uh, in the last 20 years especially, I'd say, but before that too, according to Potter, but in the last 20 years, it's definitely changed big time. And people want their paychecks. Potter mentioned that too in a big, big talk he gave at McTaggart, the McTaggart Center uh, uh, to other journalists uh, about the fact that they're all pretty well on. Uh, they're the propagandists, the journalists are the propagandists for the rich and wealthy. But for those, as I say, that, that, that want to understand at least a bit of what happened in the past and how the best of intentions can get used as well to get the people to go along, there are always those who see incredible profits in times of crisis. I always think of the, the Council on Foreign Relations. I can't, remember, I can't remember which one it was. Was it um, 
Hart, was it Gary Hart at the time, who came out he, he, in the newspapers, and I think at the time of 9-11, 2001, and he said, how can we use, that's a favourite thing they say, this crisis to our advantage. And he's talking about to their global agenda, for instance. And that's what they mean by to our advantage. He wasn't talking to the general public. <laughs> to our advantage. And you've heard it since then by top business people and so on. How can you use this crisis to our advantage? And why let a good crisis go to waste and so on? It's even in the movies now, that kind of thing. Because that's the way it really is, isn't it? That's how it really is. And so the whole idea that they've settled on, united with the mantra of global warming, then turning into climate change, and as the Club of Rome said, famine, plague, and, and deserocate, all that kind of stuff, or drought, meaning overpopulation, that's what they really mean by it. That would fit the bill. So man was the enemy. So a war on humanity itself. There's too many of us. We're all consuming. We are the enemy of the planet. We're the enemy of those who control all. So we've got to stop and, and be ruled by those who are, will rule us from birth to death. And down the road, it will happen. You'll, you will go into the state where they'll, they'll decide. That they're only talking about it again, but they always float the same ideas from top sources in universities and professors or, who have all belong to, the, again, the big uh, global CFR-type system. And they, they say, well, you know, we, we should really have people licensed to have children. And then they'll say, well... And lots of folk will agree with them because there's an awful lot of terrible parents out there and horrible parents and so on. But it, you can't take take the complete rights from the people under the guise of, a few of, us, of the minority do it. You can't do that. And it's too easy to demand the wrong things or demand what the what controllers want you to demand to your detriment, really. And if you look at what the controllers are doing to, to even children and what they're indoctrinating them with at the moment, by law. <laughs> you, you can't keep falling for the, the same reasons that they give you. But they also have said that eventually, I remember reading uh, about in the future, because way back in the late 60s they had articles in the newspaper about the coming utopia. I'm not kidding you that they had their big global meeting with the, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs held in Britain, when they even decided what countries would be basically tourist countries, like Scotland, they were turning a tourist, it'd be totally deindustrialized. Well, they did that. That's true enough. And other countries too. Nothing was put to the vote from the public. These are private institutions that run that, that run the world. They're the establishment on behalf of the ones who own it. But anyway, they also said that, yeah, and they had, they had drawings in the, of, of people in togas, Roman togas, where they, they'd have they'd conquered climate and they could create climate. And you'd all walk about in these Roman togas and sandals near your feet. All your needs would be given to you and managed because everything would be so automated, etc. And the, the, those that they needed, humans they needed uh, to uh, give employment, will rotate, will rotate a certain class at the top who would volunteer to work. And it would be a privilege to be accepted to volunteer to work for, to work for this system, this global system, as we walked about in Roman togas which it must mean in Canada and some other countries, they've eliminated mosquitoes, I'd suppose. But anyway, this is what they floated around. And, and they were telling for how wonderful it was going to be. And then when they totally deindustrialized and they cemented the European Union and did their quota system on production of even dairy products and food and decided who was going to import what from whom, and they cut out all the mutton and so on from, from New Zealand and Australia. Things like that. And then they dumped stacks of butter and dairy from France onto Britain and put other folk under. This was their utopia. You understand? They give you such incredible lies. Remember the communist revolution was going to bring in utopia. That was the idea. And if, if it, under the guise of bring it all in, you would have a system of giant, giant supermarkets like we have today, where you get everything, build all center types, you get all your, all your, what you need for hardware, everything. But people would go in with cashless society, you eventually need cash. You might get credits, you see, and tokens given to you, like Russell said. But you'd only get, take, pick up what you, they would have no staff there. You'd pick up what you wanted. 
automatically, uh, uh, be a, a, I guess, checker or whatever. But the people would be so well-trained and decent that it would only take what they needed, not, not any, any extra. That was an incredible utopia. Well, in that case, you're going to talk about changing the choices of humans, because even the bad choices are, are, come from a human trait. And many traits are actually even survival. People often will shoplift because they're terrified of whatever. There's a good documentary up there of a woman who was one of many women that were sent off to, to the terrible uh, Soviet gulags in Siberia. Awful stories, incredible stories of them. And when they come out, they're, they're alive, some of them, and, and or they're alive then anyway, back in the, the 90s, maybe, or 80s. And one of them, literally, she showed you her house, big, big trays, baker, baker's trays of loaves of bread. She said, I can't eat them. She said, but I can't stop myself from ordering them. The fear of the starvation she went through is horrifying. That'll never change. There are many traits that, 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 are, that are, this natural traits have become exacerbated and amplified by terrible Pavlovian situations. And the reflexes that she's got now, she just can't stop, you see. What a horrible, horrible outcome. That was the utopia, you see. If you disagreed with the utopia, you were put in a mental hospital because you had to be mentally ill to criticize the Soviet system. That's, that, was, that was what they diagnosed you with. Since it was, it was a perfect system, right? So you obviously were, were, were psychotic. And I see, unfortunately, the same techniques being rolled out under a thousand different guises throughout society with the, what's now called politically correct mandates. And as Orwell had thought crime and all that kind of stuff. Tyranny really is, is fairly continuous. There's different strengths of it for different periods, but it's the same techniques that are always used to silence people. Because tyranny does not like something that's so important, and that is the ability to speak. Whether you like it or not, you have to have... The, it doesn't matter if a person's stone crazy The fact is they've got the right to speak Because after all, it's someone else Someone's deciding he's stone crazy, right? But he's still got the right to speak Or she, depends, you know But the thing is Tyranny always silences it Under guises, they're mentally ill Or whatever it happens to be And don't believe it, the same tyrannies that, that back in the 80s and 70s started dismantling all the psychiatric hospitals across the Western world at the same time, by the way, and in the States as well, and, and putting them out on the street. They really care, eh? You better, you better start thinking here. Eh? The old saying, if it walks like a, a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So when you see the same symptoms arise in society, it doesn't bode well. When you see well-trained, uh, massive mobs, well-organized mobs, being allowed loose on, on streets by our governments, this isn't, this isn't just a happenstance flash mob spontaneous. These are, this is obviously authorized to get something else through. Even the clashes they're creating everywhere in the world. And I really think there'll be a lot more to come. I really do. Because I can't believe in this age that governments are going to stand back and just let it happen. They're getting something out of it. There's a mandate down the road. And I mean all kinds of them, too. I mean, there's even ones now that are attacking farms in different countries. And now they've got an international, they want international groups to do all in the same day, etc. As an example... What you're seeing is it's getting back to the Soviet system when there's no tolerance. You've got an intolerant society. And when it's mandated, things are mandated by law, then, then your governments are obviously intolerant. How can they be democratic? How can they be? They can't be. They're one or the other. Which one? Which is it? And the whole idea of democracy is something balances the other. That's why the, the, the idea of extremes in, in government parties 
Well, they, they don't, they're all the same pretty well, aren't they? And it's a dangerous situation. Eventually, they, they hope to wither away the governments, as, as the state would wither away according to Marx, you know. And we'd all accept this, this form of being governed, or really ruled. And uh, even though we're ruled at the moment by forces unseen, and massive think tanks across the world that work uh, privately and, and dictate to governments, it seems, because governments certainly use them all the time, we don't vote them in, then we, we're run by a very mysterious system at the moment, aren't we? So as I say, I hope down the road that even the newcomers will, will stop blaming themselves for everything that they think is wrong in their life. I, I do understand what they mean by alienation. You know, for a lot of folk who feel it, they become despondent, they feel they don't fit in, there's no purpose down the road for them. And believe you me, uh, uh, there's, there's reasons why you're like that. And very possibly just informing yourself of the past and getting in to the societies that we really live under in and the systems that control everything. It's very, it's all out there actually if you want to dig for it. There's no conspiracy stuff involved because the, the big think tanks publish so much of the stuff themselves. And universities that work with them publish a lot of articles and about how control is used for, for they call it peace, etc. And it's awfully interesting too that even I always remember the the old saying that the Soviets said that their struggle would be over when there's peace because they kept pushing peace. Like and it was awfully hard for the West to say to young folk in the West to say, "Well, they want peace for goodness' sake," you know. But, but no one thought to see definitions are so important. And what they said was peace when they're really, really pushed. Peace is the absence of all opposition. That's what they meant. Khrushchev said something similar too in his talk, I think, over in the U.S. in the 1960s. And he said that uh, you're all worried about something you shouldn't be worried about. He says your children. Well, 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 all grow up in a, in a, in a, a socialist, he's talking about a Soviet-type socialist system, uh, and it'll all be quite natural to them, but they'll do it without struggle. They'll do it without uh, any terrible, terrible consequences, he says. They'll, they'll grow up in it naturally, never knowing that, that, that it was literally designed for them to do so. That ties in the Rees Commission, and that's another story again. However, I prattled on long enough tonight, and I didn't even mean to go this far on. I meant to just touch on Dennis Potter's uh, karaoke. It's entertaining and has a system inside of it and it has his own story inside the story. As he's got cancer, he's actually in a sense like the character in it. And then and Nicole Lazarus with, with a future that uh, even for the budgets of the day, they did pretty well, I would say, and, and showing you a future that still... It's more apart now than it was even then. So before I just sign off here, I'll put up some articles that'll tie in with what's, what's current, because it's hard to find current stuff now. It's all, there's very little real news anymore. It truly isn't, you know. Things are important, we're not really told about. That way, agendas can go forward for, from government, and, and we're simply oblivious of them. But there's one here, um, I've mentioned it before, but the freedom of the press. Awfully good. Well, he, Orwell explains, once again, I, I say I'm putting it up, but he explains why you must have different opinions about everything. You must have it. If you, if you, if you give in under one topic, you'll give, in, uh, give up with all the rest of them too, and you won't like it down the road. Also, Got new taxes, new tax, bad news for those on the land, and so on. We're getting all the, all the carbon taxes coming down. Also, Mark Zuckerberg, they've used him, of course, as governments to help control internet content. Isn't that interesting? Eh? So, I mean, yeah, the, the guy who, who said you're all stupid efforts, he said, you know, is now saying that government has to come in too and help uh, controlling it. And uh, there you go. So, it's and I understand a lot of stuff. Folk can't even be decent on the internet, but then again, you don't know what, what the bots are. And there's government agencies got stacks of bots that can turn loose on anybody that don't put out the real hate stuff and the hate speech and all that. Of course, they do. There's nothing you, you don't know where any of this stuff's coming from that you read. And then, um, 
the US military to develop genetically modified plants, like green plants, right? Vegetable type plants, to spy in environments unsuitable for traditional sensors. <laughs> New synthetic biology programs make use of natural capabilities to gather intelligence. Hmm. One day, like Prince Charles, who talked about talking to his plants, you know, they'll start talking back to you. Also, too, again, how they keep changing names when you start to, when the public start to catch on and use it in their conversations, like NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, and all the terrible things to do with it. And so they changed it to USMCA, which is more of a mouthful. But it's really just NAFTA rebooted. But also uh, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership deals too that we was complaining about at the time too are all incorporated into apparently in, into this new USMCA. I'll put the article up if anyone really cares to know about it and so on and check it up for themselves. You've you got to find it for yourselves. I haven't gone through all you see, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Because they, really, they already did the free trade things for, for, the, for the Pacific Rim negotiations separately as well. They'd already signed these things in. And the public, we're completely oblivious or ignorant of what they are, aren't we? And do you have time to read thousands of pages of things? Of course you don't. Neither do the politicians, they don't read them either. They don't. I mean, that's... Not being facetious is true. And then um, another one too. This one here on France. Cited as a source of largest number of wealthy migrants coming in, I think, or coming, coming and going, actually. Uh, and Canada... Uh, it says Canada attracted just under 10% of the estimated 82,000 millionaire migrants who changed country last year. According to a recent report, it goes as a breakdown into the, the wealthiest, well, the countries where they're moving to, for, mainly for safety and so on. You know. And it says New World uh, Wealth said the, the inflows into Canada were boosted by large-scale migration from China into Vancouver and from uh, Europe into Toronto and Montreal. Canada's the second most popular destination for wealthy Chinese immigrants. It's a South Africa-based market research group, New World Wealth, it's called, said the overall number of millionaires on the move last year uh, around the world rose 82,000 from 64,000 in 2015. Now, what they claim here is improved education, higher personal safety, where... Uh, the main driver is when those wealthy people sought out new destinations. So it makes sense, too, they, can, they, they, they want to get... To, and to the U.S., too, the, the big Ivy League universities they want to get into, that sticks with them for life. They'll meet the people they'll work with down through life as CEOs and corporations and government, like Maggie Thatcher said to herself with Britain when she started uh, using the taxpayers' money to fund the private schools and universities and so on, or university system. The class system's alive and well, and believe you me, the class doesn't care where you come from as long as you've got the money and you can learn, that you delve into this new, I, I, I think Jacks Atali called them the new nomads to go across the world and where the money is is where they go and they'll move again if they need to and that's how it's to be for the future, nomadic life existence. Australia has the fastest growing number of millionaires on the planet, it says, and you'll never believe the countries we beat. Now, it's interesting, this all comes out at the same time. It makes you put a different spin on different things, but they might come in with, with lots of money, but will they benefit you? I very much kind of doubt it. Most of these big wealthy people have international investments and in the same stock markets and stuff like that. You know? So it's just the way it is. Also, I'll put these articles up regardless anyway, but you see now. Oh yeah, the, the, the carbon, a whole bunch on carbon taxes. And again, the private organizations, the think tanks, even some of them labeled as, as charities, are driving and pushing it all. A lot of Washington, D.C.-based uh, conservative think tanks that are charities, that are labeled as charities, are promoting uh, the carbon uh, trading schemes and so on. And Years ago, I gave talks, because I listed all the companies, the international companies, were all for bringing in carbon taxes. And you would think, well, my goodness, it's going, to, it's going to cut back on... No, they're not. They're going to make a fortune off of it, because they trade the carbon. It's like a stock market. It, 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 they were all for it, because, they, again, how can let this crisis go to waste, you see? So you create you create an appearance of a crisis, then you, you get the public to fund... The, the beginnings of the, the, the carbon credits to trade with, we did. 
I read the articles at the time, and then they get them for nothing, and then start trading with them, and and they can they can get billions off of it. Well, what a we we just don't we're not. You either have that gift of following that kind of technique, or you don't. I when it comes to money, I just don't understand it. I don't, honestly, I have no interest in. And, and this or that or investments or how things are done it, to me it goes over my head and I, I kind of shut down on I, since school I've done that pretty well when it comes to numbers but um, but the ones who, who have the abilities to, to catch this stuff and uh, they, they can make fortunes and they do naturally you know and the AEI holds carbon tax loving it's called this is one of them American Enterprise Institute it's amazing that's labels like a charity and all that and um, a think tank, and they're really pushing it for it's big money for corporations, obviously. A carbon tax AEI really it says is another one, and then uh, the philanthropists who think a carbon tax offers the best way forward on climate policy, you know, and they can certainly pay all these big big uh, characters to to put things in the in the, and the media is quite happy to put anything in. Uh, if they're getting paid to do it, because especially these days, you know, newspapers. And um, and then Mike Cannon Brooks, uh, Atlassian billionaire, calls on government to reinstate carbon price, naturally, you know. And uh, so we're all going to pay through the nose for something that was dreamed up a long time ago. And uh, at the same time as it dreamed up the whole idea of blaming us for being, as being the problem, too many of you, and you're going to get awfully even more rich uh, from it from their carbon exchange. You remember that Al Gore was involved with literally blood and gore carbon exchange to begin with, see? <laughs> so he had a lot to, 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 to win from pushing it all. And uh, anyway, I'll put these articles up for those who care about it or, or are vaguely interested. We're all going to pay regards, nothing's going to change it. And then getting back to lock your gates and install CCTV and, and vet new staff carefully. The advice to farmers ahead of major animal activist event by militant vegan groups. Now, where do you think they all came from? And why do you think government's allowing it all to happen? Hmm? Huh? Come on. There was also uh, floated it, uh, an article in, in the British papers that Julian Assange was about to be expelled from London embassy and arrested following the deal with Britain. But the Ecuador's UK ambassador rejects the claim that he's going to get expelled from their from their building. So we have to wait and see what's going on there. I don't know if it's just to keep his name in the paper because it's true enough when the limelight's off is when the wolves and the wolves have plenty of time. They can wait just like like they always say tribute to the devil. The time is on their side. They can they wait and wait and then they pick you off when they think no one's looking. And it's true. Every regime's done that, and they will always do that. I suppose. And also, a floating city dubbed Oceanix, this is where the recession developed money goes from the taxpayer, will save coastal cities from flooding caused by climate change, the UN project claims. So the UN Department for Sustainable Development teamed up with the Oceanix and MIT, an explorer's club, in a partnership to build a prototype that will be open to visits by members of the public within months. And that'll be the multi-billionaires that we're reading about here, because they'll end up getting investments in it and, and public. They'll get back dollar to dollar by at least at least dollar for dollar by the governments uh, using it in tax money and so on. Interesting eh? how things go. But believe you me, you're never going to have a static system. Uh, that, that's what people I think often wish that they had a static system just uh, they even had articles out many 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 years ago about st- stop it stop it you're changing too quickly you don't have time to catch your breath things just dis- even buildings that your parents could refer to are no longer standing they just knock them down in no time so you can't even relate to people that they're uh, just a few years older than you everybody's again this idea of, of alienation it's all part of a technique too. Sad. But we're given no choice in the things and no, and no say in anything either. As I say, at least you have the, 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 the supposed, supposed system of a democracy where, where opposing viewpoints are supposed to be discussed. 
believe you me, um, if you don't if you don't have that, uh, you're, the, the elite themselves will bring you into the, the cold Lazarus system in no time at all, with no opposition, and then then you can never go back to having a say in anything, or even a pretended say in anything, or even some other people that you'll vote in to speak for you. It won't happen. The public are a nuisance, an awful nuisance to those who want to rule and, and promote and guide the world. That's why it's far easier to go this way, wean you off of, of even involvement in what they're up to and, and getting you used to being simply governed until you stop asking questions or even asking who's governing you, you see. Then they can get things really done quickly. And that's the agenda, folks. That's what it's about. Anyway, sorry for prattling on. As I say, I, 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 know I was going to spend 10 minutes on just the, what I've said here. But um, I think it's important because I think time's running out. And I feel it in the air. I feel it. I feel there's, there's big, big changes happen. There's definitely something. It's almost like a switch been been pulled or switched on or off or whatever, but as you go into this new system of, of more intolerance, and it's rather sad that I don't think it bodes well at all. But that's the way it is, folks. So I hope you get something out of it. I hope a lot of the younger people get something out of it too, and realise that life is not just fun games and and the occult. The occult just simply means hidden. Remember. We truly are, in a, in a sense, in an occultic system. Most, most of what you, the, the public thinks that they should know is they don't know at all. They're not given. Secrecy rules. And, and governments, of course, say that they must run things in secrecy or they get nothing done at all. There's a partial truth there, too. You'd always have so many objections. Nothing would get done or fixed or roads or whatever, that kind of thing. But it goes too far when folk get off of what the rules are. Or they, or they throw the rule book out the window, which is a terrifying thing to contemplate. So for myself, from a still really uh, end of winter, there's a thaw going on, but a lot of snow to move, yeah, get down to before the grass shows here. For myself, Alan Watt, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or gods go with you. <laughs>